Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Hosting as always, my name's Dan and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Evening, Dan. And Calm. Good evening. Happy Easter, gents. Yeah, an Easter Sunday special. Oh no, it's Easter Monday, isn't it, today? I've lost all track of days. It's not Christmas. (laughs) We're not playing four games in three days like everyone expects us to do do at Christmas. No, although the, um, and we'll get onto it later, I think, Dan, but the Football League have played Good Friday and Easter Monday as though it was 1985, haven't they? So, you know, the, the Premier League obviously doesn't, doesn't, stoop to those levels anymore. I think the Premier League would stoop to those levels had there not been an international break just gone. Well, that's true. It's kind of impeded the possibility of uh, wall-to-wall Easter football. Um, if if we get straight into it then, gents, the the, the race for the top four, um, Khan made a terrible mistake before that he didn't realise. He said something has got a bit silly, so I've been in a Monty Python mood all afternoon. Um, <laughs> so, silly, silly, silly. Um, yeah, the, the, the race for the top four is now actually a bit of a race. Um, I did watch Chelsea's game against West Brom, and quite frankly, they got a good scene too. West Brom were excellent, fully worth the win, especially considering they were 1-0 down as well, and then, uh, as as we've already said, that degenerated into a bit of silliness um, with a red card for Thiago Silva, who looks every inch a 36-year-old at this point. <laughs> Seconds after... Um, Chelsea had taken the lead. It was just a bit of a crazy game of football, really. Some brilliant goals from West Brom. Um, I think as Arsenal bow out of the race for the top four, Liverpool are straight back into it all of a sudden. Um, Everton are currently making heavy weather. Hello, Babella can't talk. Sorry, heavy weather of Crystal Palace at the moment, and Tottenham uh, blew a lead at Newcastle late on as well. It's all a bit wide open, isn't it? It, it is, Dan. It's it's a, it's a strange one because it had started to look, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about we all did our sort of predictions and, you know, which clubs do we think are involved. And it it started to look like it was getting a bit settled. And, and as you say, the, this weekend's results in particular um, have, have really sort of blown it wide open again. Um, I'm not sure if and you mentioned Everton. I don't know if they're quite they might be just out of it but there's there's now you know quite a few clubs and Liverpool all of a sudden seem to have uh, come out of nowhere because they were I think they were one of my predictions to finish in the top four which was starting to look a bit ridiculous um not too long after I made that prediction but all of a sudden my my blushes might might be being spared you never know um but yeah I think with um you know with the Chelsea result as you mentioned were they were well beaten I did see some of that game and you know West Brom looked uh you know, really sort of confident side, and it was it was a really good a good win for them. Um, although, again, whether it actually really makes a difference to them, it's maybe come a few games too late for them to make a material difference to their season. I think they're, they're going to need a bit of a miracle at this point. Um, but uh, a good a good good win nonetheless, and obviously uh, from a top four perspective, has has really sort of blown things open, and particularly with you know Spurs as as Spurs. Do as we know and love them. Uh, missed, gr- you know, a great opportunity to capitalise on that. I think they would have gone level on points. Um, I'm not sure if that would have taken them ahead of Chelsea, but I think they yeah, would have gone level on points if uh, they'd have gone fourth. Right, right, yeah. So there you go. So that's uh, you know another uh, another great example of Spurs Spursing things up. It's um, <laughs> been bailed out by Harry Kane. How many times have we seen that? <laughs> Um, so yeah, it just makes it, it just makes it interesting. And then again, Liverpool, you know, looking, uh, you know, with Jota coming back, 
um, seems to have made an immediate impact to the to the team. All of a sudden, seems to I didn't I haven't seen a lot of the the footage of the game, but from what I can tell, playing with you know seemed to be playing with a bit more confidence um, than maybe before because you've had a, you know a, a bit of a wretched run. So it just it just makes things interesting now with a you know only a handful of games left, uh, but it puts things in quite a quite a fascinating uh, position. And, and of course. Um, Man City uh, and ended up winning, uh, you know, against Leicester as well. So that's another another team in that battle who you know didn't pick up points this weekend. Um, so yeah, I just think it makes it, you know, it gives us a few opportunities for some further further twists and turns as we go into the you know the last sort of round of fixtures really now between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think I think that you know the Chelsea result was obviously a shocker because that's one you'd almost penciled in as a as a Chelsea win, um, and it was a you know bit of a surprise result really to come out of nowhere, um, and and for it to be as as convincing as it was. I mean, Chelsea haven't been conceding goals, have they, since since Tuchel arrived, mm-hmm. um, and it all kind of disintegrated a little bit quickly on on uh, Saturday morning, I think, or, or Saturday lunchtime, I should say. I, I think we we have to start from the premise that it, it is going to be. Um, uh, Manchester City first and Manchester United second, and once you've kind of accepted that, it, you then you then have to start with the question: Well, where are Leicester City on that spectrum? Are they guaranteed to be in or not? And, and I, I think I mentioned this last time we talked. Their last three games away at Man United, away at Chelsea, at home to Tottenham. Uh, Leicester have to get it done by then, in my mind. They have to go into those three games pretty much signed and sealed because. You know, if, if they were to go and lose at United at the start of that run of three fixtures, and then all of a sudden the two teams who were most likely to be right behind them in the form of Chelsea and Tottenham get the opportunity to, to do damage to them themselves in those final two weeks. So I, I'm not ready to say Leicester are definitely in. I think they have a, a run of fixtures. I think they're at West Ham next. That's not an easy game. But then they play West Brom, Crystal Palace, Southampton, Newcastle. That four-game run should be enough for Leicester now. I think if they could collect, you know, 10 points in those four games, it would be difficult to see them on, you know, 66, 68 points probably is going to be enough for fourth. Um, uh, so so I, I think that they have an opportunity to seal it, but they need to seal it before those last three games. If we're then talking about one place... I, I do think Everton, I mean, if they win tonight, you'd look at the point, they, they go above Spurs if they win tonight, and you could say, well, or certainly level with Spurs, and you say, well, how are they out of it if you're saying Spurs are still in it? But I think, I think realistically, it will come down to Chelsea, Tottenham and Liverpool because they're the best teams with the best players and the best squads. I think I'd give Chelsea and Tottenham a slight advantage at the moment. Liverpool were very good on Saturday night, but... Arsenal were absolutely atrocious um, and, and made the game extremely easy for them and, and didn't test what we know is the vulnerability that Liverpool have at the moment, which is centre-half. I mean, Arsenal barely got the ball in the Liverpool half, let alone um, tested the central defender. So I, I, I still think I'd probably edge towards one of Chelsea or Tottenham and probably still Chelsea. Um, but, but I think it is going to go right to the wire now. Um, and those those last three fixtures for Leicester could could end up being critical because I, I still don't think it's impossible that Leicester end up fifth again. Um, you know, which the season they're having would be devastating for them. They do, of course, have um, that one additional factor this year, Leicester, in the fact that they've got an FA Cup semi-final. 
Um, and that will, uh, that, that, I mean, it's semi-final they would expect to win against Southampton. It could work one of two ways. If they win it, it can prove a little bit of a distraction. But equally, if they win that semi-final and they're guaranteed a final, it maybe takes the pressure off them a little bit in the league in a strange way. Because last season, if they blew that fourth place at the end, the whole season was basically, you know, worth very little. A bust. Whereas, because they've got the cup final still to come, and I, I don't think the cup finals... I think the cup final's been played the penultimate weekend of the season, isn't it? So again, that goes into this point of when are the fixtures going to be? They could end up having to play Chelsea and Tottenham in like three days over over the last week. It's on the back of playing in the FA Cup final as well. I think it's just going to be really, really entertaining and fascinating. As an Arsenal fan, I've lived through quite a lot of these sort of last seven or eight games races for third and fourth place. Um, I actually don't miss it one bit, you know. I mean, I'd rather be in it than be 10th. But um, these these final games, when there's so much riding on it with the, with the Champions League money and everything else, um, they're going to be really, really tense, I think, for players and fans. And that's why I tend to lean towards Chelsea. I just think there might be a bit more experience there in terms of the combined experience of the manager and the players uh, who, who they've got in the squad, who've been through it before. I think um, Jose, unsurprisingly, when Spurs blew a lead yesterday, immediately blamed the players because um, <laughs> obviously it's never Jose's fault, as we know. But I do think he's kind of got a bit of a point that while Jose himself as a manager has been through this a lot of times before, this Spurs squad, you know, it has got a lot of players who've not been in this position. You look at, like, yesterday, the, you know, the likes of Hulyberg and people who are in, in the side have never been in this position before, Matt Doherty and, and others in the squad as well. So, um, Liverpool, if Liverpool could get one of their centre-halves back, I'd give them a cracking chance. But I just don't know how likely that is, Dan. No, um, from what I understand, Gomez is out for longer than Van Dijk, and Van Dijk is not to be considered by um, the Netherlands for the Euros. So, you know, I I think it's just a big ask for Liverpool with the fact that they're playing with, you know, two central defenders who, if you know, if we're being frank about it and being honest about it, um, wouldn't start for maybe more than one other Premier League team. They might start for West Brom, whose centre halves are dreadful, but. But beyond that, you know, it's hard to see where else Liverpool centre halves have start at the moment. Um, so I think that's the that's the the thing that still probably is a drawback for them. Um, I don't think West Ham are really in it. I think they needed to they needed to win that game before the international break when they were three 0 up at half time or just before half time against Arsenal. Um, I think psychologically losing from that, uh, well, you know, losing. The, the win from that position and ending up only with the draw psychologically probably took a lot out of them. Wouldn't surprise me if they lose at Wolves tonight as well. Yeah, again, it's a big game, Dan, and I think you're probably right. I It just felt like 3-0 up in that game, you were thinking, my goodness, West Ham for the Champions League is possible. Um, but like I say, when you, when you come away from a game like that, having been 3-0 up and you don't win it, You've seen it before, the impact that that can have on a team in the next two or three games, and so close to the end of the season, there isn't really any time for a wobble. And that's it now, isn't it? it it's this is normally the, the the time of year where where you you've always said, Paul, your championships and titles are won and lost in April and May, and the the, the title was won a long time ago, so we have to concentrate on the top four instead. 
and uh, this is the time of year where you can't make any mistakes otherwise you you, you probably lose what you what you had uh, i mean i still uh, the title was won a long time ago dan but i still can't quite believe when i look back how tight the top of the table was kind of mid-december and how quickly it went from being tight to being game over it seemed to happen in about three days um <laughs> And uh, and Man City just got on that run, didn't they? And 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 were just a juggernaut for a couple of months and just blew everybody out of the water. Which we we've all always known Manchester City have the ability to do. They've got an extremely talented group of players, which you would expect when you've spent that much money on them. Yeah, and uh, kind of expertly done there, Paul. You you segue me on to my next point, um, which was Erling Browse Haaland's future. Um, now, Man City alleged that they can't afford to sign him, uh, which is poppycock and nonsense. They can afford to sign whoever they want. They have the transfer budget of a small um, Middle Eastern country. Um, and that's, I mean, the GDPR. No, the GDPR is wrong. <laughs> the GDP. The GDP, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they probably do have the data of everything <laughs> the Emirates as well. But. Um... <laughs> Well, we were talking about Qatar just last week, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the the Erling Haaland thing is is interesting to me because it seems to me as though his agent, which is it's 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 Rowler, isn't it? Um, yeah, is hawking him far and wide across Europe. Um, some some the, the Spanish press were saying that he's he's been to speak to Real Madrid and Barcelona, and for some reason the Spanish press are also saying that Liverpool has spoken to him. Which you know I, I don't doubt that we're interested. I don't know if the finances are there, but um, there's also been wild rumours that he wants to play with Odegaard next season, and, and Odegaard is 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 at Arsenal for now, and and Real Madrid are already talking about bringing him back. Is it a bit unseemly, this? I mean, I, I don't suppose Dortmund really care too much because they understand their role in things, which is they buy a cheap player, make him into a very good player, sell him on for a profit and begin the cycle again. And Dortmund are comfortable doing that. That's that's always been how, how it has been for them. They don't have the infinite resources that Bayern Munich seem to. But is this all a bit unseemly? I think I it's... You go, you go, Colin, you go. It's, it, I don't think it's certainly not su- surprising to me, Dan. I mean, I think um, if you think back, it, it was almost a bit of a su- surprise that he sort of went to Dortmund because I think a lot of people were expecting him to just make that straight jump for you know into into one of the you know Madrid's, Barca's, whoever. Um, and then he sort of it was almost a bit of a curveball that he, he was like, well, actually, no, I want to kind of continue my development through. And, and, and as you've mentioned, Borussia Dortmund are a club well known for that that sort of route of bringing in the kind of your raw younger talent and and turning them into a uh, more of the finished product and selling them on for a tidy profit. As you say, that's kind of the space they operate in because they don't have you know the the GDPR <laughs> as I'm just going to call it now of a small you know sort of sovereign Middle Eastern state funding them so they have they have to operate that way um, and it you know and actually it's a smart move and it sort of allowed him to put himself in in that sort of shop window to now command the the real big bucks which uh, and of course that's where his agent the esteemed Mister Roller comes in who uh, yeah as you say I think has been sort of uh, ferrying him around Europe via a private jet to any club who, who's batted their eyelashes at him. Um, you know, so it seems certain he'll move. 
where he'll go to, who knows what the kind of conversations. I think, you know, to be a fly on the wall in some of those boardrooms would be very interesting to hear the kind of promises that are being made to him by uh, by some of these big clubs. It would be very interesting to know. Uh, he does seem to be quite, uh, you know, he seems very much, despite the fact that he, he has this sort of big name agent, he does also seem to be like his own man as well. So I, I feel like he will make a kind of considered approach um, and he doesn't seem like the kind of personality to be sort of, bullied or harried into a move or a club that he doesn't think suits him um so i actually think that you know in a way maybe th- those those meetings will actually will make a difference and i think ultimately uh you know he'll then sort of say right this is the club i want and then it'll be over to his agent to sort of figure you know to, to get him the best terms and so on um so i think it's very fascinating i i definitely read with with some cynicism the uh you know remarks from guardiola you know clearly um you know if 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 it was needed i'm sure the money you know can and will be found you know we did mention a few weeks back i think paul made the point that whilst they've they've spent lots of sort of 50 60 million pound fees they haven't actually broken a, a, a record or sort of broken the bank so to speak for you know for one particular player but maybe as a replacement for 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 aguero who we might talk about in a minute you know maybe as as a sort of almost a one off if you like maybe it is worth doing this time um and actually it might be a missed opportunity for them uh, obviously i i kind of hope that they don't sign in because then that might mean that man <laughs> pretty much going to be very very difficult to dislodge man city um from the top of the table for quite some time if they did sign in because they've got pretty much a lot of the other good ingredients there they just need that regular goal scorer and if they did sign him or even harry kane you might think it's going to be very very tough for anyone else um to get near them so i sort of hope it doesn't for that perspective as much as i would love to see him in the premier league and get to watch him more often because he's clearly going to be one of the best players of the next decade i'm sure um but uh yeah we'll have to wait and see but i think you know we're all used to these just to to, to wrap up you know we're all used to these sagas now it's like every year or two there's there's another one isn't there so it, it is a bit unseemly but I, I almost feel that uh it's it's it sort of has become par for the course. I think the only interesting thing now is, of course, the financial situation that a lot of clubs are in. Will I think make you know make it very interesting? Um, I think just generally this summer, but also in terms of the types of numbers that are being talked about with him and things like that, and and that might actually narrow the pool down of clubs who can make a serious bid um because obviously the situation of the last year or so has, has had such a damaging effect on on so many clubs' finances. Um, you know, we've talked about the two Spanish clubs before and, the, the, you know, the sort of situations there and aren't the best. So whether they're serious contenders or not, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but, yeah, I think it's 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 unfortunately is part and parcel of football now that when when these these sort of uh, young superstars come along, you know, it was Mbappe a couple of years ago. Right. And, and this this is just the way that uh, this is just the way that, that football goes, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Paul, I'll let you let you jump in, mate. Yeah, I, I, look, I think um, I, I do think there is some point to, to the Guardiola thing with Man City that they haven't gone and spent. You know, they've not made a three-figure signing. They've not got close to a three-figure signing, really. Um, lots of fifties and sixties, as, as Khan said, and and I think that is where they're more comfortable in the market. Um, I, question about whether Man City are really in for Haaland depends a lot on where you think the, the number ends up. And if the number ends up at 170 million euros, 180 million euros, 
you know, the, the sort of name or number. I don't know where, exactly where that ended up. But, but if it's in that range, I don't think he'll go to Manchester City because I don't think they'll pay that. Not because they can't afford to if they really want to, but because it means they need to do some very, very creative accounting um, to, uh, to backfill enough sponsorship to make that comply with, with FFP. And they could restrict them in terms of what they can do the next few years, replacing some other pieces in their, in their squad. Um, so I think if it gets up to those sorts of numbers, it won't be Manchester City. I think if it's in the 100 to 120 million range, I think Manchester City are very much a player. They might go a little bit beyond that. But once it starts getting up close to 200 million, I just don't see Manchester City in that market. Um, and again, not because they're completely incapable of having the money. You, you're absolutely right, Dan, that if the owners wanted to, they could probably buy him with pocket change for them. Uh but in terms of them trying to give the impression that there's a model at Manchester City and that it's not just a, a sort of splash the cash, um, I think it might be difficult. Uh, that probably gets you down to the two big Spanish clubs, neither of whom have got that kind of money. So I don't know where, you know, I don't know how much Dortmund are expecting to end up with out of this process. Um, there'll be a salon fee. Um that was part of the deal that took him to Dortmund in the first place. So there'll be a salon fee. There will be a question mark about um, the affordability for the big clubs in the in the middle of a, a global pandemic. And and the number's just really difficult for me to put my finger on. So if I had to go with a gut instinct, I think I, I think he will probably end up at Real Madrid. Um, they have a need for a superstar. Uh, Karim Benzema, who's been terrific for Madrid. And I think there's a piece on BBC Sport actually today by, by Guillaume Balaguer saying how sort of unappreciated um, Benzema has been through through most of his Madrid career. But he's 33 years old and, and Haaland's the next big thing. Um, I could see that as a fit. I could see Barcelona as well. But again, we, we talked a few weeks ago about all the troubles that there are at Barcelona. And I don't know if a big splash signing like Haaland is really what they need at this stage. I think they need to be a bit more root and branch in terms of the way they approach the, the rebuilding of the club. Um, I mean, there's rumours that Chelsea are still interested. Uh, you know, Roman hasn't spent fortunes in recent years. I know they spent a lot of money last summer, but it was, it was largely money they'd self-generated. From the Hazard um, sale. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, you know, they sold Hazard and then obviously had the transfer ban. Um, and they've got a couple of years worth of Champions League money that they can, you know, that's sloshing about in the coffers. So would Roman be interested in going back to sort of being the, the splash in the transfer market? Don't know. Don't see Manchester United in the market. Struggle to see Liverpool in the market if it's at that top price. It's really difficult to say without knowing what the number is. I think once we we have a sense of where the number's going to land, it'll be much easier to determine where he ends up playing. My my gut says it'll be Real Madrid. My gut says that Dortmund are going to have made an absolute fortune out of this. Well, exactly. And, and for Dortmund, if nobody gets to their number, they should just say no for another year. He's only 18 months into his contract. I think the difficulty you've got there, though, mate, he has a release clause that kicks in next summer. If a, if what I heard on Sky Sports News was right, which it probably isn't, but they're the professionals, not me. Um, 
I think I think he has an eighty million release clause next summer, and I would suggest eighty million is a, lot, a bit on the low side for what they would want. It is. It is on the low side. Um, definitely. Uh, I suppose there's a question then. You know, how much above that this year does the number have to be to to make yourself? Um, I mean, I think it will be sufficiently there. I can't imagine it's going to be less than one hundred million. Can't imagine it's going to be less than 120, even in the straightened financial times in which we should be living by rights. Um, yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, I, I don't think they can wait a year if it's if it's an 80 million uh, release in in 12 months' time. But that's also putting a lot of credit on Sky Sports News to be accurate. <laughs> Um, and, and the point on, around City as well is they, they've already had sort of various investigations around the fair play side yeah. of things, haven't they? So it's that they they know if they make a big statement signing like that that's over 100 million, which it will probably have to be to, to get his signature, then that they just know. So you can almost imagine that the next day the headline will be Man City are investigated. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that and, that and that might be what sort of Pep was slightly sort of alluding to maybe in some of his comments that, uh, you know, obviously, yes, they have spent a lot of money cumulatively, um, but they haven't sort of done those, those, you know, really big, you know, 100 million plus, um, you know, as you've mentioned, Paul kind of signings before. And it does, it does like to sort of break the model a little bit. Um, but equally, I do think with Aguero going, yeah, it's a critical thing. To yeah, get yeah, right. yeah. Um, you, you can't you can't fill centre forward on the cheap, um, yeah, not at that very very top level. Because and the other thing I suppose the other factor with that you know is 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 the Harry Kane situation, right? Because that yeah. also applies. You know, we, again, we we figured he'd probably stay in this country if he moves, but that there's also that part of it as well of. Is he thinking of moving? And if so, who's interested? And what sort of fee would he get? Obviously, he's much older than Haaland, but also he's got a proven track record. Um, so there's that sort of factor as, uh, in there as well. Um, you probably buy Harry Kane in his peak, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. But could you, you know, for example, if if, if Haaland's 120 plus and, and Kane's 80 to 100, then does 80 to 100 million for City work and then then Haaland maybe goes to Madrid as Paul was saying for 130 or something you know for example that that could be a, a scenario that plays out I still think Kane is more likely at City than Haaland I felt that all the way through mm. and and I think we should just we should just take a moment Carl mentioned it earlier we should just take a moment to reflect on um on the the brilliance of Sergio Aguero Fantastic um player and the career he's had at Man City and the impact he made at the club and what he will always mean to that fan base with, you know, if, if the rest of his Man City career had been rubbish, which it definitely hasn't, he would always have a special place in their hearts for the goal against QPR. Um, but it isn't just that goal. It's just the years of consistent brilliance. Um, I think you have seen in the last 18 months, he isn't the same player. He's struggled to stay fit. Um, and when he does play, he doesn't quite have that. Exp- he, he was never super fast over a longer distance, um, but he had that fantastic explosive speed um, in in short areas that was um, just so so difficult to deal with when he was at his peak. Um, and I think you know the years and the goals he's given to Manchester City. I think there was a run in the middle there where he, he scored 20-plus league goals five seasons in a row. There's very few people that have done that in the Premier League. I think it might be him, Omri, and Shearer. I think that's right. I'd have to double-check it. 
you know, it's so rare for someone to have five seasons back to back of 20 league goals. Um, incredible record. Uh, and, you know, whatever he chooses to do next, he can still play. He will still have suitors. Um, you know, he's, he's, he'll be 33 in the summer, but you could imagine him going back to Atletico Madrid and playing for another two years at a decent level. Um, but it's just really to say, I, I always think of really the start of Manchester City being that that quartet, that company, um, Silva, Toure and Aguero. They were the four for me that took Man City from being a wannabe club with some money to a real, real contender. Not, not Rubinho then. <laughs> not <laughs> Rubinho. Yeah, they had a couple of flash in the pans along the way, didn't they? Until yeah, they not scored. Rubinho and not Roque Santa Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, those four really did yeah, solidify it for them. But yeah, I'm, I'm also, I have to say, a paid-up fan of, of you know the Aguero uh, fan club. He has been just, just his consistency, some of the brilliant goals he scored. Um, I sort of say it through gritted teeth, but you just have to take your hat off some players. And like you say, I think I think you're right about that that consistent sort of five seasons of of twenty goals. Is and then there's also that really weird stat how he was never included in a team of the year, uh, sort of through that run as well, which you just think is bonkers. Um, but uh, but there you go. So EA sort of almost leaves as a you know slightly under you know one of those bizarre sort of situations where you almost feel like he has been slightly underrated through his career. Um, which, I, you know, I don't really see how or why that would be the case because he, he is up there, whether it's because he hasn't, you know, maybe played for one of the sort of tr- traditional, if we call them, sort of bigger clubs. Um, and Man City have kind of come in as like a challenger club, so to speak. I know obviously they have been around for a long time, but at that, you know, top table, maybe it's perhaps because of that, they don't quite have the same sort of global fan base. Um, so maybe just perhaps hasn't quite been sort of talked about as much as if he'd been doing what he'd been doing for, say, the teams we support, for example. But, uh, yeah, I think he has been absolutely brilliant and he'll, he'll definitely be missed um, and easily one of the one of the best players we've had in the Premier League, for sure. Elite Premier League import. Yeah, exactly. One of, one of the very, very best that we've brought from overseas. Um, and yeah, he's actually not actually caused that much damage against Liverpool and I, I have a little tally chart in my mind for for these pests who score against us and he's not actually I don't think he's ever scored at Anfield I was reading the other day which is a, a massive surprise to me well Man City don't have a very good record at Anfield do they in reality no the, the record at Anfield is pretty dreadful and, and this year's results against them will be an exception it won't be the rule but that's what happens when we have empty stadiums but yeah um, Sergio Aguero was an elite um, Premier League import yeah it was Speaking of uh, empty stadiums, it looks as though we're going to be getting um, some limited capacity crowds for the for one of the FA Cup semi-finals. I think it's Leicester against Southampton, and for the Carabao Cup final, that's going to have eight thousand fans. Um, I think the, the the semi-final fans are locally sourced ingredients, if I remember rightly. So locally sourced to Wembley. I believe so. Yes, for the for the for the FA Cup game, it's it's local fans only, uh, and I think for the plan for the, for the Carabao Cup final, with it how, being a final. How many how many Southampton and Leicester fans live in Northwest London? I'm not so sure, but I can, I think there'll be a few Barnet fans. But <laughs> some Barnet fans might have a, a field day, or yeah, I, that that seems to me like a really odd. Dec- I mean, I mean, if they meant 
I'd just presume they'd say, you know, it's got to be season tickets and you've got to travel to the game on an authorised club coach or something like that, you know, and, and put a bit of responsibility on the on the clubs that way. Um, Unless I mean, I'm look, mistaken. I, that, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, dissing Southampton or Leicester and their, and their fan bases and their popularity, but are there really 4,000 Southampton fans within half an hour drive of Wembley? I'd be surprised. I, I think I think the plan is for people local to Wembley to be able to apply to come and watch this game because it's a test event. Ah, got it's, you. It's, so, it's, so actually, sorry, they're, they're I've not... not explained that very well. Sorry, that's what I meant by locally sourced. Right. So it's, it, actually, you don't have to be a fan of Leicester or, no. or Southampton. Yes, that's um, that would be far too sensible for the FA. <laughs> you just have to, you just have to happen to live within half an hour's walk of Wembley. That's that's my. They just want to sell you some popcorn and a donut inside. (laughs) You're right. We do have a national stadium to pay off, Cam. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, So no, I didn't. I didn't realise that either. So yeah. So it's basically just getting bodies into a stadium. Basically. That's my. I mean, Con and I were at the original Wembley Test event. Was it England under twenty ones? Con against Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all those years ago. The first sort of Test event at the stadium was England under-21s Italy, limited capacity, for obviously very different reasons to why we have limited capacity at the moment. Um, but we were at that test event. Uh, I can't say I'll be rushing to get my ticket for Leicester-Southampton, and I don't mean that again in any way to dismiss those two clubs. Leicester have got a very, very good side, as we've talked about previously. Um, and I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for Southampton, but I, I won't be rushing to put my name in any FA ballot, put it that way. Well, you, yeah, you two could be locally sourced. Um, it, it's, it is uh, a sign that we, we could be about to get back into stadiums soon, though. Certainly Liverpool emailed me the other day to say um, season ticket renewals are now open. You've got to do it by the 24th of May. Um, one interesting caveat is, well, two two really th- big things that I noticed. is Number one, it looks like the days of the physical season ticket is over. Uh, it's all done by NFC on my phone. I don't know how that's going to work. If it's anything like the the game against Wolves that I went to, I will just download something on. I think it was it was some kind of Google app, and it was Google Money, I think actually, and it, they just scanned my ticket at the turnstile. Um, and the other thing that caught my interest was that season ticket holders, if they so wish to, kind of dip out for a year and wait to see what happens, are allowed to have a year off. But I'll try a, a gap year on the season ticket. I mean, that's a good idea, and it's a sensible idea by clubs as well. Um, I think I think that's definitely something people should look at. Your season ticket previously, Dan, when you say physical, it wasn't still a, a ticket book that you had to rip a ticket out of each game, surely? No, no, it wasn't. But I had a fan card, which was a in fan card, a, yeah, a very yeah, snazzy yeah. leather wallet. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of miss that. that. That that to me is part of going to the game. You know, getting in the queue. Yeah, and in freezing cold November, December time, kind of like getting it out of your pocket and and just scanning yeah. it in and then ascending because I'm in the, up in the gods. So yeah, it, I'll, I'll kind of miss that, but at the same time, I understand the, the physical nature of it. You don't want staff handling it. Yeah, the um, I mean, you know, again, living in London pre even pre COVID, Dan, I was using my phone to get on the tube in the morning. So I think that's the way the world's going. Oh, the lobster card. Well, the lobster card's long gone, and it's uh, it's just touch your phone on the thing now, and um, and it all calculates itself out. You don't need a you don't need a separate piece of blue plastic anymore. 
I, I, I mean, my my experience is in limited in, are limited in London, as you know. But the I think the last time I went, actually, I think I just but just thinking it on my phone. Oh, oh actually, no, I tapped my debit card. Yeah, yeah. So tapping the debit card came first, and then obviously as as sort of you know Apple Pay and Google Pay and uh, Samsung Pay and whatever whatever else <laughs> brand you want to put in front of the word pay. Nokia Pay. You know, most people, even before COVID, you'd, you'd see in the morning, they they just tap the phone because uh, it tends to be a thing you have in your hand anyway, rather than having to root around in your pocket for a card or anything. So, yeah, it's it's the way the world's going. Yeah. Next week on BBC Click. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, so it, it does seem as though we are on, on the cusp of getting fans back in, which is, is great news. It is. It's it's good news. I think it's good to have the Carabao Cup final with some fans. I think you know cup finals with no fans, as as we saw last summer, and and you know, obviously still pleased for Arsenal to win it. But it was a strange experience watching an FA Cup final in front of an empty Wembley, and I mean eight thousand might still feel like an empty Wembley in in the size of that stadium, but. It, it it will just look better if there's some people in seats that that you can see on the TV angles. Um, and I, you know, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, so I won't labour the point. But it, it just doesn't feel right, even watching it on TV without people there. We all understand the reason. We all, you know, agree with the need for caution and and not rushing too quickly. Um, but at the same time, it'll be fantastic to have fans back. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, yeah, I must admit my, my interest in watching live games has waned increasingly just because of it. it just doesn't sort of, I've kind of got over the whole, uh, fake crowd noises and so on now. And it's just got to the point of like, Oh, do you know what? I'm, I might just wait until, uh, <laughs> wait until it's back to normal. Um, you know, I can just about watch sort of United games and, and no jokes about our, our level of football, which is not great at the moment, but I can just about tolerate watching us. But, and you know, for other games now where normally I'd be sort of hyped up for them as a neutral, I'm sort of a bit very passive to say the least. But again, obviously we know, we know what the reasons are, but it's, it's great that there is, that there is some light, uh, light in the tunnel now, hopefully. So fingers crossed these, these games that do have fans in go well, um, and then that can kind of pave the way for the, the numbers to be allowed in to go up and get back to normal as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm sure um, if, if we do get fans in for the cup final, I'm sure they're looking forward to watching Man City win. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's the other reason. Again, I have a soft spot for Southampton, but I'd like Leicester to win the semi-final because at least, at least Leicester are capable of giving Man City some sort of game. Um, I agree with you, Dan. I, I expect Man City would still win, but nobody wants to watch a repeat of the six-nil against Watford. No, no, no. no I, I think every, I think everyone's over that, aren't they? Really. Um, yeah. But for the Carling Cup, let, let's just give City the Carling Cup. I'm, as 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 you know, I can't give that one to Severe in the wood if I could. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd like Man City to win the Carling Cup just because um, the alternative's worse. <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I, I've had to make difficult decisions and, and, and things I'm not comfortable with over the last six months, which I'm not happy with because I'm not accustomed to it over the last few years. We've normally had matters in hand ourselves, but we haven't on this occasion. Uh, before I start trying to get Severe into the Premier League, um, let, let's have a think about some of the, the teams that are genuinely trying to get into the Premier League. We've, we've talked about how exciting the promotion race is um, in, the, um, in, in the leagues below. I would say... 
the last few weeks, it does feel as though Norwich and, and Watford have really got a stranglehold on it. There's a 10-point gap between uh, Watford in second and Brentford in third now, so it's almost like time's going to have stood still over the last 12 months because we're getting uh, Norwich back, we're getting Watford back. Uh, indeed, and um, not for the first time, Brentford are screwing it up right at the, right at the key moment. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you're right, Dan. I think the I know they only drew with with Middlesbrough earlier on today. I, I watched a little bit of that, um, but I think Watford are are up. I know Brentford have got two in hand, so technically they can get the gap down to four. But the momentum just feels like it's with Watford, um, and the managerial change they made at, at Christmas. I know Watford have a tendency to change managers, like most people change socks, but it it does seem to have um, worked out for them. And, and Cisco, who I knew almost nothing of, seems to have done a decent job. Norwich are going to win the league. I think that's that's all but given at this point. I think the interesting one, when you look at the playoff picture below that, is is Swansea, who have now, I think they lost 1-0 to Preston today with a goal and injury time. They've now lost four games in a row and haven't scored a goal in those four. And Glenn Johnson and, and, wasn't impressed with them today either. Yeah, their form's just fallen off the cliff. Barnsley are winning, Reading are winning, Bournemouth are winning. You, you can see those teams kind of they just feel like they're in slightly better form than Swansea. Swansea seem to have lost their heads at the wrong moment. I think Brentford will will have enough to make sure they stay in the playoffs. Um, I think the other places are still very much up for grabs. From fourth down, I don't think anything's settled. Um, although I think it probably is going to come from those those four teams for three places, if you see what I mean. Swansea, Barnsley, Reading, Bournemouth. Cardiff and, and Millwall are sort of seven points back from what, Bournemouth, can, and can, Bournemouth have got game in hand. So I, I just think it's a big ask for a Cardiff or a Millwall or a Middlesbrough to put a run together at this stage. It is a big ask for Cardiff because the five 0 down at Sheffield Wednesday <laughs> as we speak. Uh, right. I, well, well, that makes it an even bigger ask. <laughs> you, you're dead right. They're five 0 down at Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday haven't scored five all season. <laughs> well, the obviously Sheffield Wednesday have been spurred into life by going below Wickham, but um, <laughs> yeah, um, Sheffield Wednesday were three 0 up after 23 minutes. Yeah, I, Cardiff had a good run. Then we talked about it when Mick McCarthy first took over from Neil Harris. He, he had a really good run with him, but again, I, I never really felt they were a good enough side to last the pace, and they sort of hit the buffers at the wrong, at the wrong moment. Um, of the four, I think Bournemouth will end up in the playoffs, and I wouldn't be at all shocked if the same three that disappeared in July are back. And the three that come back, you know, thirteen months later. No, me neither. Not not at all. Um, Brentford, they do have the two games in hand, but they're looking now as as Everton unfortunately take the lead against Crystal Palace. Um, what 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 Brentford are looking at now is being able to get a run together to get themselves into form for the playoffs. Because it's often yeah. the form, more often than not, it's not the team that finishes third; it's the team that finishes sixth and a, a, a patch of form that get promoted. Yeah. Has that um, has that happened before? Paul or Dan, the three that get relegated get all come back up. It feels like it should have. It's a good question. I'm not sure. I think it's happened once from the Premier League that the three that came up all went down. Yeah. I think that's only happened once. I'm trying to think about the three that going down, going straight back up. 
and I've got a feeling that might have happened once as well. But I'll I'll, I'll see if I can if I can dig that out, um, and maybe we'll touch on it next week. It's a good question. Um, it is. There's a lot of occasions I can think of where two have come back, but all three. I've got a feeling late nineties, but maybe I've made that up. I'll I'll leave a bit of homework for you. Yeah, a bit of homework. I'll I'll get onto that one. We'll come back next week with it. it it's it's almost question. certain that West Brom are one of the teams that did if it's happened. <laughs> and I think I think there is a point there and we, we it, it was the case for a few years in the early part of the Premier League era where the teams that went down out of the Premier League invariably at least a couple of them were in the mix to come back up. And then we had a period where Actually, you go down out of the Premier League and, and the bigger question was, would you avoid the double drop? Because um, you come down with huge Premier League contracts and then they'd be difficult to offload and those players didn't want to play in the Championship. So there was definitely what felt like about 10 years where getting relegated out of the Premier League set you back for a number of seasons. And we do feel as though we've gone a little bit back to, to what it was you know, earlier on in the Premier League era where where the, the, the relegated teams um, are kind of doing well the following season and, and getting themselves back in contention to go back up. You know, we've seen Norwich have bounced between the leagues a few times, haven't they, in recent years, and, and, and West Brom, Dan, you've referred to as well. So um, it is interesting. It's, it's something I'll maybe do a bit of, of research into for next week, and we can talk about the patterns between how many relegated teams go straight back up between the Premier League and the Championship and see whether it has increased again in, in um, regularity. Middlesbrough. The, the, good news, the good news for you is, Paul, though, we'll probably see that there's an article on The Athletic on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it all for you because they, they are listening somewhere. Yeah, the, the, Someone's the, got that Amazon Music subscription. The, the, the Athletic um, article next week when they interviewed the person who drove Middlesbrough's team coach in 1997. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, indeed. I, 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 um, I, I don't mean that as a criticism. I love The Athletic. Oh, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great service, definitely. So I think that's that's the championship, Dan. In in League One, um, I think it's two from three to come up automatically. I think it's Hull, Peterborough and Sunderland. It'll be two from that three. Um, and then again, the, the, the interesting thing when I look at League One in the playoff positions is Lincoln, who were in the automatic race but two or three weeks ago. Hanging on. They're now no win in five and have dropped to sixth. And okay, you still have a game in hand and, and a three-point lead over Charlton, who are seventh. But I think we've talked earlier in the season about the miracle at Lincoln, really. A lot of lone players, no one really expecting much of them this year. And Michael Appleton's done a great job. But I, I do just wonder if eventually it's catching up with them. Small squad. There's more what experience a stages around than Lincoln City in League One. Yeah, exactly. I, again, if I had to go with my gut right now, I'd say I think Lincoln will probably miss out on the playoffs. And, and a Charlton or an Ipswich who are just in that group behind um, you know with bigger squads and bigger budgets will, will just pip them ultimately uh, but yeah it, again it, probably the automatic race is a bit more life in that than, than in the championship I, I do think you know it, it, those three have all got a realistic chance if Sunderland could stop drawing Sunderland would have had this league one months ago <laughs> uh, but Sunderland are addicted to draws 14, which has been an issue 
14, 14 draws. draws. They, they had an enormous number. I don't know if it was last season or the previous season under Jack Ross as well, Remember when, when he came down from Scotland to be the manager. And, and they had an inordinate number of draws. I, I, I'll, again, another piece of homework for me is to look how many games Sunderland have drawn in the last three seasons. But it's <laughs> extraordinary. Um, they, they, they just love a draw. Um, so I think, I think that's probably the... Uh, the the playoff picture in in League One covered just very quickly in League One because I I talked about Crew a lot earlier in the season when we were on the edge of the playoff positions. Uh, well, we've been on a bit of a bad run and have dropped down to I think fifteenth. Not that we're in any relegation danger. So obviously I bet against us today in my accumulator and we probably won two 0 <laughs> So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put Crew to lose in my accumulator every week next season and they'll probably get promoted. That relegation race, not that um, th- th- not that Crew are in it, is very close. But this is a promotion. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we we can touch just very quickly on the relegation. Again, you have to remember four go down from League One rather than three. Uh, Rochdale are just about still in with a, still a fighting in chance. They're still in touch. Um, Wigan are down there. Wimbledon are down there. Uh, I think probably everybody from Northampton down. So that's probably six clubs for, for four spots. I think the, the Burtons and the Shrewsbury's Probably just need one more win. And again, stages, they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be, again, it'll be interesting. There's there's very little mid-table in League One. It's quite interesting. Yeah, and I'm looking there and thinking Swindon look vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think like I say, any of those six are, are still a long way from feeling safe. Swindon always seem to get relegated. They must get promoted at some point, but they always seem to get relegated. Again, Swindon do the West Brom between League One and League Two. Yeah, as long as they don't do the Swindon Premier League 1993. What's Jan what's Agafi Ortoff doing? And doesn't he report for a German network? Yeah, yeah Jan Agafi Ortoff is um, a quite well-respected journalist. That's the yeah, yeah, yeah. don't know what he's talking about. I mean, I always liked him. As, that's that's Swindon's season. The one thing that came out of it was Jan Agafi Ortoff. He, he, he had a decent... Came from nowhere, didn't he? No one in England had ever heard of him. And he had a good season for him and a terrible team. And Fraser Digby uh, had got back it from picking the ball out of the net <laughs> quite a few times. A hundred, I believe, Dan. Around hundred. Uh, I, I know that I can't remember the, the result at Anfield. I think it might have been a two-two draw, but I, I know we won six-one at the first at, 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 at the the county ground. On the, was it the county ground? Yeah, yeah, we won. We won. I thought I was doubting myself then, getting myself mixed up with Derby. Um, yeah, we, we won six-one on the first day of the season at, at Swindon, and I, I'm pretty sure we drew two-two at Anfield, which sounds very very Liverpool thing to do. Um, of that era. Yeah, League Two. Then, um, as you know, I've got my eye on on the League Two promotion um, situation for for reasons in uh, in Middlebrook. I'll just say that. Um, but I'm, I'm saying that I'm not putting a hex on them because they lost today. The first loss for a long time, but they lost one nil at Newport, who were themselves seventh. So the, the the playoff and the automatic promotion race in League Two is very very close. Yeah, there were some there were some big games in League Two today, actually, to that end. Because uh, Tranmere, who I think started the day in fourth, played Cambridge, who were top as well. They drew one all. Um, uh, as, as you say, Bolton lost at, at Newport in a, in a close game. Um, Exeter only drew, which was a real opportunity for them just outside the playoffs. I think they were playing... Uh, um, 
they were playing Mansfield, who were a real, really difficult season for Mansfield, and and, the, and could only draw. I think Exeter just looked like they've run out of steam a little bit. Um, but I think everybody from kind of Carlisle up is still in with a chance, really. Carlisle are twelfth. They are six points off the playoffs. And they've got fourteen with a game in hand. With, with a game in hand. So you know, the, I think everybody from sort of twelfth upwards in League Two is still in with a chance. Um, and just to mention Port Vale, because they've had one of the strangest seasons ever. Started really well, disappeared completely in the middle of the season, ended up making a change uh, of manager, and then I think they won again today. I think that's five in a row. Yeah, so. they won five in a row. So I, I overheard Jeff mention it before. You know, it's just, again, I, I thought they'd be amongst it at the start of the season. They've had a real strange season. Um, but but five in a row, obviously, they've pulled themselves well clear of any, any danger at the bottom. Um, which is which is good news for them. I do think Cambridge will will see this out and end up as one of the three that are promoted. I hope they do. Um, not only because I tipped them in my start of season predictions uh, in a competition I do at work, but for other reasons <laughs> as well. I hope Cambridge see it out. Um, and then you know Cheltenham, Tranmere, Bolton, Forest Green, Morecambe, uh, Newport. I, I still think Orient. Um, who've been on a good run. I think they only managed to draw today, but have been on a good run of form. Uh, I still think Orient are very much in it. Salford are very much in it if they can decide who they want the manager to be this week. Um, <laughs> but obviously, Gary Neville doesn't believe in sacking managers. Uh, so um, I, I think there's a lot of teams that have still got a chance. And again, the League Two playoff semi-finals are always great games to watch because just they're always a bit bonkers and form book and, you know, Teams that have been defensive during the season suddenly score four, and, and it, it's just a bit crazy. So that league will go right to the wire. It always does. Um, at the bottom end, I think uh, Grimsby and Southend are going to be relegated. Yeah, it's looking a bit. Everything that's looking a bit far away from them now. So I mean, I know I know Grimsby have been down once, haven't they? This would be a second time for Grimsby to drop out of the Football League. I don't know how long it is since Southend have played outside the Football League, but I suspect it's a lot of years. Yeah, I, I don't remember Southend being outside. I remember Southend and Grimsby both being quite successful championship teams. Yeah, yeah, and they're playing in the second tier in the in the early the first half of the nineties, definitely. Yeah, Roots Hall always seemed like a difficult place to go. In all seriousness, it did. Um, yeah. In, in like the, the, the Granada football era. Yeah. So I think... I think the first time... I don't think Southend have ever been outside the Football League since they came into it. And they joined... They were co-founders of the third division in 1920, and I don't think they've ever been out. That's a lot of history about to go down the pan. Yeah, very sad. Uh, that's not not a well-run football club. No, it's had it's had its issues over the years, and, and a lot of issues in recent years. Um, and it is a real shame. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's proper Essex football club, Southend. Um, and they've had over the years, they've had some some relatively famous names who've, who've been South End manager, you know, names that people who have focused most of their attention on the upper echelons of football would recognise. You think of 
obviously Sol Campbell was there for a while, as a, a short while as manager, but Kevin Bond, Chris Powell, Phil Brown, Paul Sturrock, David Webb, uh, Alan Little, Ronnie Whelan, who of course was a player for your lot, Dan, mm-hmm. Peter Taylor's been the manager there, Barry Fry was the manager there. They've had some pretty high-profile figures uh, managing Southend. It was always considered one of them. I think Bobby Moore might even have managed Southend if you go back far enough. It was one of those jobs that was kind of considered a good job to have and uh, in those lower leagues. But but the club's not been well run the last 10 years, and this is really the culmination of a, of a period of mismanagement. You've spoiled my joke there. I was going to say lots of famous names and Phil Brown. <laughs> Well, I think Phil Brown might not be famous. He might be infamous. Uh, <laughs> the half-time half telling off. The, the, the half-time telling off, which I think will live in Premier League legend. Shall we wake Khan up and talk about something else? <laughs> well, I was going to say, and, and the singing as well. Didn't he sing at the end? when? He... Oh, he did when they stayed up. The yes. first year up with Hall, yeah. they stayed up on the final day and he did a song, didn't he, on the pitch? He did. It's, near, <laughs> it's not quite as Alan, bad as Alan Pardew's dancing 1-0 up at Wembley, but... <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it'll be very, very sad to see Southend go, but I, it does seem to be. Um, it feels like it's inevitable, and, and yeah, it's been, it does it's seem been to coming be that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, sad, sad news. Um, so one one thing we've not done too much of on this podcast, and I thought we'd try it for something a bit different, is hypotheticals. So I thought we'd talk about, or I'd ask you, if, if you could clone one player who would be ideal for your team now. Who would it be? And I'll go first. I found this really difficult. It, I, I'm not going to say Stephen Gerrard because it would be too easy for me to say that. Obviously, we all know where I think of Stephen Gerrard. Probably the greatest Liverpool player I've ever seen. Blah, 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 blah. He's not long since retired. So I'll, I'll, I'll skip Gerrard, although he would be ideal in Liverpool's midfield. Um, I found it very difficult to distinguish between um, Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano. I, I think both would be an ideal fit for the way we play now. Both have got that little bit of an edge that I, I think we'd actually need more of, to be honest. Um, Tevez is versatile, could play anywhere across the front three. Uh, Lethal in front of goal, hard working, would both would really get into our pressing game. I ever so slightly, and I, it was really difficult, I actually went for Mascherano. I think he would be absolutely ideal in Liverpool's midfield. But I think Tevez, I think the closest thing that we could get to Tevez now is, is Suarez, who's obviously you know, in his the, the, the twilight of his career. So I, it was close between those two, and I went just for Mascherano, just. Um, I found this a lot easier, Dan. It took me about 0.1 of a second after you asked the question to work out the answer was Patrick Vieira. Yeah, that's what I thought he was going to I say. don't know that I think there's ever been a time when I wouldn't give Patrick Vieira as the answer to that question. Fantastic football. One, one of my favourites. It's a controversial opinion about us, uh, among Arsenal fans, but I, in my view, he's the greatest Arsenal player I've seen. Absolutely I would put fantastic. Him, I would put him above Bergkamp and above Henri. I think what what, what I always liked about, about Vieira was, yeah, he was a more defensive midfield. He, he was more than comfortable striding out and getting oh, he, five, he, six, he could seven do a everything. season. Patrick Vieira could be a playmaker. He could, he, you know, in these later years when he played with Gilberto, he, he, he did get forward a lot more and get into the box and got more goals. Um, when he played with Petit earlier on, he, he tended to play deeper. 
Um, you know, when he played with Ray Parler as well for for a couple of years in the middle of midfield. Um, a just an unbelievable footballer, but also an unbelievable leader, an inspiration when he was on the field, a guy who dragged the team through difficult moments. Uh, you know, played with some nastiness and some edge and, you know, had a few sendings off. You shouldn't sort of skate over that. But I said the day Patrick Vieira left Arsenal that I didn't think he'd ever be replaced because he was irreplaceable. And um, what, what was that, 2005? So where are we? 16 years down the line, we haven't even got close. Uh, one one thing about about Vieira, you just mentioned his goal scoring, ended the famous, or infamous in your eyes probably, Neil Mellor um, injury time winner for Liverpool. I, I, Arsenal scored a goal in that game. It was Vieira who scored it. And it was a lovely passing move. And he just clipped it over Kirtland. It, it could have been Henri who'd scored the goal or, or Bergkamp you know, it, or, or, or Pires, but it was actually the, the holding midfielder who just strode into the box and just lifted it over the midfield. What a player Patrick Vieira was. Yeah, I think I think that I think he got his most goals for Arsenal in that final season when he probably wasn't quite um I think that was his best single goal scoring year. He probably wasn't quite as dominant all round that season as he had been in the past. And I think I think everyone has seen that started to be a little bit of a regression. I think he was thirty, about to turn thirty-one, and he'd just gone the other side of the of the hill. And actually, while he had a couple of nice years at Juve and into Milan and whatever, he was never close to the player he was in his, his peak at Arsenal. Sold, um, sold at the right time, would you say? Yeah, I think probably was sold at, you know, you can maybe argue a year too soon, but then would you have got the money they got for him a year later is is the kind of counteract to that. Um, but he played for Arsenal for nine seasons and he was just incredible. Impeccable. Um, pretty much all of them. Uh, and he, as I say, he played a bit further forward at the end because Gilberto did more of that kind of screening and sitting position. And um, fouling. Just, and fouling, yeah. And, and knowing when to take a good yellow card. He could play in a Pep Guardiola team, uh, <laughs> Gilberto Silva. Um, but yeah, I, I just unbelievable. I, I've loved him from the moment I saw him make his debut. I was there that night. He came on against Sheffield Wednesday at Highbury. I think we were 1-0 down. Platt got injured early and they brought Vieira on off the bench. Wenger hadn't even arrived yet. He'd been appointed, but he hadn't arrived. Um, and and for for his first signing to be this guy who just came on the pitch and immediately, like, wow, we've not seen anything like this at Arsenal in years. Um, it sort of, it was a perfect setup for Wenger to then come later. And, and you'd already got people thinking, well, if he's found this guy, uh, he, he must have some eye for a player. Um, yeah, the Vieira, untouchable, untouched, unparalleled. Um, he would make Arsenal a Champions League contending team. Not contending to win it, contending to get in it <laughs> instantly. You, you put him, you put Patrick Vieira in this team and Arsenal are a top four contender. Khan, who, who, who are you going to bring up now who's going to make my hackles go up? <laughs> so, so, right, first, first of all, so the... In your message, Dan, you didn't say it had to be a player from your team. Well, I didn't. I, 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 it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Okay. Because, yeah, the, the obvious thing for me to say, probably based, um, probably based on what, what Man United need, is to go the similar route of, of both of you and go for that sort of defensive central midfield and say Roy Keane is the, the obvious answer. However, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to conform. <laughs> um, and I'm going to go for a couple. I'm actually going to pick a player 
who we were linked with. I never thought we would actually sign him. And I think we were just used as part of negotiation for him to sign for another giant club. Um, and I'm going to pick Ronaldinho um, because he's just one of those players that I just absolutely loved watching play, particularly for Barcelona, um, just when they started to almost turn into that that, that great side um, under Rijkaard and eventually, obviously, you know, uh, under Guardiola. And I, I just remember watching him with, you know, in, in that sort of season or two when he was playing with a very young Lionel Messi who was coming through. And it was it was just amazing. And, you know, we were linked with him quite heavily, but I, I know that we were never, I don't think we were ever realistically going to sign him. And I know he's a bit of a luxury player, um, but what a luxury to have. And I just think, uh, you know, I, I, I would absolutely love to see him in a, in a Man United shirt. And I think he would... Uh, be a fabulous addition to us to our you know us, us kind of going going forward because I think he'd he'd score goals and he'd and he'd create goals. Um, he wouldn't address our central midfield issues, but you know whatever <laughs> they can wait for another day. Um, you know similar to similar to what what Paul was saying with Vieira. You know we never really replaced Keane at United, um, not directly anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that would be that would be my pick. Uh, would be Ronaldinho. Come. I think if I couldn't have Patrick Vieira, if you said he'd have got to be someone who hadn't played for Arsenal, I think I'd pick Roy Keane. <laughs> who again, o- Arsenal were Arsenal were were in the in the mix that summer when he left Nottingham Forest, and uh, mm-hmm. I think I've told this story on the podcast before. But they they kept the number four squad shirt back for Keane. He ended up not signing. He signed for United, and nobody wore number four at Arsenal until they signed Vieira. It stayed vacant for two or three seasons. Um, it was almost like they decided that that shirt was for the central midfielder who was going to change the drudgery that was the Arsenal central midfield in the early 90s when you were watching Ian Sally and David Hillier pass sideways. <laughs> it's a bit like now, actually. Pass sideways <laughs> and backwards a lot. Um, it could be Xhaka and, and, I mean, Party was garbage on Saturday. What's Thomas Danivis uh, Dan- 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 doing? Yeah, well, indeed. I, I, I think... Um, just on the finally on the Vieira point, like, it, it did bring it home again watching the game on Saturday evening because I, I don't think Thomas Partey's properly fit, and I'm hoping he's not properly fit because if he is, then he's definitely not 28 or whatever he claims it is on his passport because he can't move his knees. That's that's not the, the Thomas Partey that really gave Liverpool problems last year. So I, yeah, I, would say I, he's got I, I don't think fitness. he's fit, Danny. It looks to me as though he had those issues earlier in the season, and he didn't sprint. Because he thinks if he sprints, it's going to go again. Yeah, um, I think it's the calf, isn't it, that he had issues with? I think the calf and the groin at, at different points. It looks to me like he's managing himself through games, and I certainly hope that's what it is. Because at the moment, uh, you know, he, he's had some good games. Don't get me wrong; he's in the games where you can see his class, but his mobility doesn't look what I thought it was, having seen him play for for Atletico. So. Um, I'm hoping just a good off-season and get him rested. And frankly, I wouldn't play him in the Premier League anymore uh, this season. The Premier League's pointless for Arsenal as far as I'm concerned the rest of this year. Um, all eyes are on Thursday night football, which is great fun. <laughs> um, if, if, well, whilst you both thrown names out there, what one, one player I would like to assume play for Liverpool who would have probably won us at least two leagues in the, the late 90s is probably Marcel Desailly. I, 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 and we were linked with him at the time as well. Yeah, Desai, um at the time he went to Chelsea, probably went to a Chelsea team that wasn't quite ready um, to take that step. And I think I think he'd gone, hadn't he, by the time that 
Abramovich. Did, did he go the summer that Abramovich think, came in? I think so, yeah. From, from my point of view, he'd be a better bet than John Scales or Neil Ruddock. Yeah. Or beyond well, talk of Armour. Indeed. Yeah, I remember the, I remember when, when Liverpool thought Scales and Ruddock was, you know, and Phil Babb. He signed all three of them in quite a short space of time, as, as my memory serves. Um, yeah, you, you would be right. Just going back to Ronaldinho Khan, because what, what a play, one of my very favourites. Um, do, do you think there was any truth to the, the rumours that were going around at the time? This is like pre, pre-internet or, or pre-mainstream internet and Twitter and general regurgitated Sky Sports nonsense. The, the the rumor at the time was that United were interested in signing him, but Ronaldinho insisted on a personal helicopter so we could fly to London for pa- to to party because that's what he did. And apparently it was Ferguson who said, "I'm not having anything any any of this," and that was why the transfer <laughs> never happened. And I can't see that being true, but I want. Well, to I, think I can it see is. it being true that I can see it being true that if that's what he'd asked for, Ferguson would have said, "Get oh, lost." Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rightly so, yeah, to be fair. Say. Yeah. Because wasn't it uh, at the time that United were in for Ronaldinho? Wasn't that around the time he just got rid or was in the process of getting rid of Beckham because he thought he was spending too much time in clubs and on catwalks and not enough time in training grounds? And wasn't it a similar time to Veron as well, who, who was a bit of a disaster, oh, yeah. quite honestly? Possibly, yeah. 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 No, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that particular room. I mean, all of it is believable to a degree so it that's probably why it stuck around because you could imagine him asking for that and you could imagine that being the reason he told him to walk um so no i, I don't i don't know if there is any truth to it but let, let's just say there is because it's fun well, of course ferguson famously used to go around when they were young players and, and drag lee sharp and ryan Giggs out of house parties when they were like 18 19 20 yeah um and and they never i think i've seen Giggs interviewed recently obviously not that recently because he's <laughs> But relatively recently, where he sort of said they never really knew how Ferguson always knew where they were, but like wherever they were, he'd turn up and drag them out. So um, I'd have liked to see him try that at a you know top London nightclub if Ronaldinho was on the dance floor. I would have like like to see Fergie argue his way in Bath of Dorman. <laughs> I, I think the thing is as well didn't didn't um, you used to tell a, a tale, Paul, about how Ferguson screwed up the Robin transfer? By giving him a, a tour of of Carrington and and whatnot, and then saying to um, the, the PSV representatives, "We'll give you three million." Yeah, I mean, there's obviously over over history, there's plenty of circumstances of situations where transfers have nearly happened and not happened for various reasons. And um, I think Arjen Robben to Man United was almost a done deal at one point, uh, probably the year before he ended up signing for Chelsea. Um, and for whatever reason, yeah, it, it, it didn't it didn't happen. Whether it was United didn't want to pay the fee, or whatever it might have been. Um, fa- famously, Cristiano Ronaldo had been had been shown around the training ground at Arsenal, and uh, they wanted to hold off um, and not buy him that summer. And, and then obviously United came along and, and sw- uh, swooped in and, and signed him. So you know you can go through history with all clubs, I think, and, and think about the transfers that weren't. Um, Harry Redknapp's probably got millions of them. <laughs> to be honest, Paul, I, I spent more time worrying myself with the transfers that were <laughs> yeah. In, in the time period that we're talking. Yes, that yeah. Salif Jao and uh, El Adjouf and yeah, depressing. But this has not been a depressing podcast. This has actually been quite fun. Um, so I think there's no better time to call it than um, accusing Alec Ferguson of 
botching two big transfers, which would have made United even more unbeatable than they were at the time. Yeah, and of course, he also didn't sign Jordan Henderson because of the way he ran. Yeah, um, one of the few that he got wrong. Yeah. Although with, 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 we've not seen Henderson for a few for a few weeks, and we're not seeing him for a few more, so perhaps he had a point. Is there a is there a risk on Jordan Henderson, Dan? Just before we finish, is there a risk that he isn't ready for the summer? For no, I, he should be ready for the Euros. I, I know, um, I know, Gareth was being quite cagey about it. Um, yeah, I just thought the way that Southgate talked about it, he he talked about looking at other combinations, didn't he? In that in that midfield base and. You know, we might get on at some point. To, I think Declan Rice has been ruled out for a month as well today. Uh, we might get on to talking about whether Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips passing five yards sideways to one another is really necessary. Um, but, but I, yeah, I, it would be a blow for England if Henderson's not available. Speaking of blows, Crystal Palace have just equalised with five minutes to go. Um, I'm sure you were devastated. It's heartbreaking, yeah. <laughs> I, I still expect Everton to find a way. Yeah, there we go. Um, good news all round. Uh, so thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, unless you're an Evertonian, in which case you'll probably hate me even more than usual. Uh, I think we'll try and get a guest on, gents. I think we're, uh, we're, we're due. Uh, got a couple of people lined up. So we'll see what we can do for next week. Uh, thank you very much to you all for listening. Please remember you can catch the Big Football Podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Podbean, which is where we host it, and on Amazon Music. So thank you very much for your time and we'll catch up with you again after a while.